0: That is a record, three weeks in a row, right on the IG live. I swear to God, the phone is like wobbling. It's probably going to fall. <laughs> is that just a, a, an imaginary thing happening in my head? Is imaginary a word? Welcome. It is not, it is not a word. <laughs> an optical illusion, maybe. I don't know. But welcome to the Strength and Success Podcast, episode 25. Mm-hmm. Joined as always by Riley Presnell. I'm Trevor Jaffe and the meowing in the background is Leo the hairless cat, one of one of two that is here. Leo the Cheeto. Leo, Leo, Leo the Cheeto. He's actually I think his full name is actually Leo the Lion. I don't even remember. I but like Cheeto there. Yeah, Cheeto it's is more fun. And Cheeto won't bite your head off.
1: He also is not so, very lion. He's
0: not very lion. Li- he's a male. Lion. Lion like.
1: Lion. Words are hard. We're,
0: <laughs> we're struggling with words today. What a time to record a podcast. But episode 25. And it is titled, uh,
1: it, it Depends. depends. <laughs> I like
0: to put her on the spot with that one. It Depends, which is the best scientific answer of all time because everyone's looking for a concrete answer and most things in life tend to be circumstantial. So for examples of that is how many calories should you intake? Mm-hmm. It depends. Mm-hmm. What is your goal? What is your output? What is your activity level? What is your recovery like? Um, are you trying to gain muscle? Are you trying to lose weight? Blah, blah, blah. How much sleep should you have at night? It depends. Should you take a nap during the day? It depends. Yes. <laughs> Naps are the best. Um, what program should you follow? It depends. And I always, I've always, i used this example often. There's a, a very well-known researcher, and I won't throw them under the bus here, but they like to pontificate that the style that they research is the best programming style, and it is a great programming style, but his powerlifting competitive career, if you wanna call it a career, lasted less than five years before he injured and burned out, and most of the people he worked with online lasted less than three years. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been competing in strength, strength sports for 16 years now, and I don't feel like I've reached my absolute potential yet, which means I can only imagine how little I would actually achieve in three to four years following that programming style. Like I said, I'm not saying it's a bad programming style, but what I'm saying is it depends. It is a great peaking style, it is a great in-season style, which is a question that someone's dying for us to answer off-season, in-season for powerlifters and so forth. But it's one of those where at what point and what time are you trying to work on is gonna dictate what you should be doing, and as always, it depends. Always. Which is the, an answer that frustrates a lot of people because we are always looking for finite answers or finite resolutions and clear de- definitive things to aim for, but it's always going to depend mm-hmm. and it's always going to evolve and it's always going to change. And you know, as much as we control our controllables, there are things that do happen to us in life that are necessarily out of our control and we have to adapt or evolve around them. So as always, it depends.
1: Even with small things like cues, people will be like, what's a cue that I can use to not fall over in my squat it kind of depends on what you're going to understand like we can give you a cue or a way to think about it but if you don't understand it it's not going to help you not have chest collapse in your squat so everyone's always looking for like the magic one answer when it comes to Mm -hmm. their cueing their coaching their nutrition pretty much everything even business um you can get business advice from pretty much anyone. Like, if you know, if you're about to start a small business and say you have three friends that also have a small business, you can ask them all for what their best practices were or what it is that uh, they did well or didn't do well. And their answers aren't going to dictate exactly what you should do or what you shouldn't do. It's going to more give you information and research on what direction you should head in rather than like a definitive answer. So how someone else runs their business is not exactly how you will run your business. Um, so you can ask them, what's the best thing to do for, for me to start my business? And the answer kind of is, well, it depends on what your business is, what your model is, um, all those sorts of things. So, uh, even like if you're built, like this one happens all the time to me specifically, um, lifters will be built similarly to me, like say same height, uh, same height and like you know longer limbed or whatever and they're like well what should should I copy your bench press or whatever and I'm like no you should do what it, what works for you so just because we're built the same doesn't mean that everything's going to apply the same it depends right. on what your strengths and weaknesses are on what you should be doing or cueing. Yeah, for
0: some people, they hear the cue chest up and they open the shoulders and they have a tall posture and other people hear chest up and they arch the lower back. Mm -hmm. So the cues, the direction, the things you take are always going to depend. You can't look at something as so finite and concrete and think that there's no other way there's always a way. And that's really the point of this is there's always a way you just haven't found it because you're probably focused on the problem and not focused on the solution.
1: Many people are problem oriented, yeah. solution oriented,
0: which, which brings me, cause I saw Charlie's on here. And I don't, I don't know how long Charlie can join us. Uh, he's welcome to join if he wants, but Charlie asked a great question if you have on your mm-hmm. phone, which is it kind of along the same time, same, same, sorry words again, along the same lines of what we're talking about right now as far as it depends because he was asking about a certain situation with clients. You Want to read the question?
1: Are lifters best off working with similar style coaches, the opposite, or does it not matter as much? As in, you have a very analytical or technique fo- focused lifter, are they best served working with a coach who's the same or finding an opposing view, such as a coach that's more work hard, push your limits, and maybe not the over-analyzing type, and vice versa?
0: Alright, so let's start with the personality type first. Generally, an athlete will perform better if their personality type is similar to the coaches because it's going to help enhance communication and buy-in and follow along. He asked about opposing viewpoints. That is a better way to learn. Paying attention to people who have opposing viewpoints or different styles or different systems or different ideology is a great way to make sure that you don't develop some type of confirmation bias mm-hmm. and stuck or set in a certain way and be open to implement some of their ideas. You're always going to want to test. That's where the depends the comes in. So if somebody has a very opposing viewpoint as a coach or as a style or system, you might want to start implementing some of those and see how you respond or how clients respond or react to it and see how it is because there may be some validity. Why can't I say the word? Validity, validity. thank you. We're, we're really strong. <laughs> and it's pouring outside, we just finished training, we're out of breath, there may be some validity to their ideology even if it goes against yours. But you test it, you don't just accept it. Now, if you choose to work with a coach who has a very different ideology than yours and a very different viewpoint and a very different personality, chances are you're gonna butt heads a lot more than you cooperate and that's gonna make for a hostile and difficult training environment. Um, I have had coaches in my past who had very different styles than I've had. And usually it just frustrated me to a point where I wanted to walk away from them as a coaching aspect, even if I wanted to learn from them, just because I, I couldn't come to a compromise with them. And that's important because if, if you're going to expect an athlete to train as hard as they possibly can, to be as disciplined as they possibly can, and then work as hard as they possibly can in all aspects, you're going to need them to, to buy into either you... Or your system, and usually it's a matter of principles, not a system, because it's always going to vary. But you want them to buy into your principles, to your habits. Um, some people don't like a coach who's very blunt and honest. You know, there are people who will send you a set and be like, I thought this was great, and you can write the back. I'm like, yes, it moved with speed, but it didn't move very technically. It didn't move very well. I'd like you to work on these aspects, and they get offended by that. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people where it moves like absolute shit, and all they want you to tell you is how proud you are of them because they want a cheerleader. They need emotional support. They need to be boosted. That's why they're here. Uh, I'm not the guy for that. (laughs) The other spectrum of that is you don't usually see hyper-neurotic lifters excel in the sport. That
1: was my point I was going to get to, yeah. I'm sorry. I took that from you.
0: Reason being is all they focus on is what they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And they're so hyper-focused on the negative, they either never see the progress or they get, Riley talked about this all the time, paralysis by analysis. Mm -hmm. Your brain can do one cue. It cannot do 12 cues. And if you see 12 things wrong with your squat and you're trying to do 12 different things every time you're squatting, you're you're holding your power back because you can't just perform. There is such a thing as just being dumb strong. If you look at the majority of higher level lifters, and I'm not calling them dumb, but when they perform under the bar in competition, they are dumb strong. They've eliminated that thought process. They've practiced as much as they possibly can. And now it's time to just simply execute and not think. The people who cannot think on meet day are the ones who perform the best.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this comes down to kind of two factors within the coach and athlete relationship. I think that kind of no matter the style of the coach, whether they are super technique driven or just work ethic driven, I think that more of the uh, athlete communication and success of it comes down to the communication style rather than the... um, analytic versus non-analytic type like if you if you're super super analytical but you know how to communicate with people in a way that makes even a five-year-old understand i think that the lifter is going to benefit if you are someone who is more work hard but you can kind of draw on that uh analytical you know, uh, anatomical type of cueing, then you will probably do okay. So I think the communication style between the athlete and the lifter is a little, or the athlete and the coach is a little bit more important than the type of coach in general. Um, Because if you cannot, if, if everything that you're saying to the lifter is either like going right over their head or it's pissing them off in some way, or it's not helpful, it doesn't matter. You're never gonna get through to them anyways. But like Trevor mentioned, there tends to be this curve with lifters, right? So there's the there's the far end of one spectrum which is the overly analytical and they want you to diagnose the degree of what their pinky should be at every single lift and all they want you to do every single session is kind of rip them apart and like they're ripping themselves apart watching their videos and they're overly analytical. They're at one end of the curve. There's the other end of the curve where the lifter literally does not care at all the thought process behind what they're doing, why they're doing it. Um, They just see a number on a paper and they move it. And that's it. That's more of like the quote unquote, dumb strong like we're talking about. Those are the two ends of the spectrum. And while the dumb strong tends to get a little bit further, I do find that when a lifter doesn't understand the intent or why they're doing something, they tend to hold themselves back because they kind of don't really care and they kind of just end up going through the motions and Mm -hmm. they're like they maybe won't push themselves so they'll see you know 80 percent, and if they have a variance up to five percent and they see 80 percent, they'll just do what's written because they're like well it's just what's written so i'm just going to do it and they never end up pushing themselves if they can or the other end of the spectrum which i tend to deal with quite a bit is the analysis paralysis part where it's just like they hit a pr and they're mad because they're like it moved Two seconds slower than I thought it should. Instead of being like, "Wow, I just had a 10-pound PR. That's freaking awesome!" Right? uh, (laughs)
0: Happens often. Somebody will send you a PR and they're mad about it. I'm like, "How are you mad about a PR?"
1: Yeah, they're like, "I hit this PR, but I'm pretty mad that my that I lost tension." You hit a PR. Who cares? In that moment, who cares? That's when you. That's what I usually always say is like, if someone hits a PR and they're like, "Well, it's not as pretty as I want it to be." Well one who cares and two that's what we aim to make it
0: now they never give you style points you don't get extra white lights for having a pretty squat or a pretty bench or pretty deadlift you get white lights for hitting it to the standard of the competition and that's that's it
1: and there's always the future to make it pretty so eventually that pr that you just hit today or last week or whatever is not going to be a pr anymore there's going to be a new one and that weight will eventually move prettier so get over it in the moment Be happy about it
0: just get stronger
1: yeah the people that kind of are in the middle to where they're like okay i know something's wrong here let me ask my coach uh whatever my coach says you know if it makes sense and it applies cool i'll apply it and i'll be better next time um and then the same people that are like not overly analyzing that kind of fall in the middle i feel like tend to do the best so i don't long story short i don't know that it necessarily matters what type of coach you are, as long as you can communicate with the lifters that you have, what it is that they are looking for. As long as you can explain the intent, as long as you can get your cueing through to the lifter, make the lifter understand what it is you're looking for. I feel like as long as you can do that and you can communicate, it doesn't necessarily matter what type of coach or lifter they are, because you're probably not gonna change that person. So if that person is overly analytical You are not going to change them. They have to change that thought process for themselves.
0: Yeah, sometimes learning is something that holds people back. And I said it's kind of strange to say learning holds people back, but... As an athlete, you need a minimal understanding of the process and a maximal understanding of effort. Mm-hmm. As a coach, you need a maximal understanding of the process. <laughs> it's your job to create the plan and help them with their form and help them to improve their mechanics over time. But it's also your job to make sure their head stays on straight and they're focusing on what they need to. And chances are, if they've, if they've made the lift to the, to the standard of the meet, they don't need to focus on the fact that their left foot was turned out two degrees farther than their right foot. Correct. And you probably shouldn't point that out. Uh, there's a lot of times where a bar might be offset a half inch. Either you're strong enough or you're not. In yeah. in meat day, you it's don't all... get a redo. You don't have to pull them all again. Uh, one of the best examples of like a, 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 an understanding of the sport and a lack of intelligence is Floyd Mayweather. Mm. Arguably the best boxer in the world ever, and he's laughing himself to the bank. But he probably can't even read the contracts he signs, and he's a, probably a billionaire at this point. And it's, it's known that like he has struggled with with educational value because he was he dropped out at a young age, and he mastered the skill. And that's all he worried about and doesn't think about anything else and he's mastered marketing and has a persona and a personality that's great and that's what a lot of people don't understand is, is just, you know um his coaches his, his father his uncle you know they both coach him they understand the yeah. process nobody works harder than him the guy works out like three times a day seven days a week nobody works harder than him he has maximal effort and lets them understand the process and then they dictate what he does in the ring and they say, they go here do this do that and that's that simple
1: for the for the lifter you're not going to out analyze your competition you're going to out lift your competition it. so you know uh as a as a lifter you should be focused more on what's going to move more weight efficiently obviously mm-hmm. like we we don't want to just move everything terribly and have no form or whatever that's how like injuries can happen but as a as a coach you also need to understand your lifter to where like, like Trevor mentioned, if the bar is like a little bit crooked and you know that if you point that out to that lifter, that lifter is just going to obsess about it for three weeks, don't point it out. Yeah. <laughs> because they, if it's not bothering them enough to where they, brought it, they didn't bring it up to you, it's probably not bothering them enough for you to bring it up to them. So in that aspect, you need to understand your lifter and understand like, okay, this person is hyper neurotic. If I point that out, their sessions are going to continuously go downhill because they're always going to be off-centered or well, whatever it is. So you have to be very careful as a coach, like what you are deciding to point out or how you point it out based off of how that lifter takes Uh, Cues or criticism.
0: Yep. All right guys. Remember you guys can ask questions on here No, Wyatt asked if I have an inhaler because of asthma. Yes I have an inhaler because I actually legitimately have asthma. I was a sickly child.
1: No He he said said it in
0: a weird way, but yes. No, he said
1: because you have that ass. Yes, yes, yes,
0: yes. yes. He's hitting on you I was just reminding them that they can ask questions on here and yeah, Wyatt is hitting on me But he's barking up the wrong tree
1: Yeah, back off. <laughs> um, okay, so one question that we skipped over last week that we were uh, asked again to talk about is if powerlifters have an off season or not. Um, my answer is no. We don't necessarily have an off season. We are not athletes, like, we're not track and field. Hey, <laughs> we're I'm <not>. very athletic. <laughs> We're not a, (laughs) we're not (laughs) track and field athletes. We're not football team, you know, we're not on a football team or anything. It's not that we have a set months where like we play games from April to September, right? We Um, don't have
0: sporting seasons.
1: Yes. So meets can happen at any time. And as a coach, I have been told, Hey, there's a meet in four weeks. Can I do it? Uh, the answer is Generally, always, yes. Do I want you to do a meet in four weeks or do two meets back-to-back that are four or five weeks apart? Not really, but it's not my choice to make that call. That's the lifter's choice. So as a coach, my job is to make sure that the lifter is pretty much always ready. Uh, That's why, Trevor, hashtag stay ready because you kind of have to always be ready in powerlifting because meets come up, and especially like last year when uh, lots of meets were shut down from quarantine and COVID stuff, uh, when meat started popping back up, lifters were just like, whatever meat it is, I want to do anything. Yeah,
0: getting in when you could.
1: Yeah, so it's less of, I don't like the term off-season because it's never that you should be relaxed and kind of just going through the motions. You should always be training to get stronger, pushing yourself. You're always going to be going through strength and peaking type of percentages and numbers in order to stay ready to where if a meat does pop up in, say, six weeks or something... You are ready for that meet, and all it is is a slight like, pivot from whatever it is your program is at now to peaking. Yep.
0: So. There's, there's no real off-season. There's just in-between meets mm-hmm. because you're going to choose when you want to compete and when meets are available, and everyone has different opportunities and different meets uh, that can come up at different times, which is why we always talk about kind of staying semi-ready. Uh, she made the joke about not doing meets four weeks apart. We're doing a meet four weeks apart. Oops. However, <laughs> they're a little different. So we're both competing at our, at our, what would be our competitive weight class. So like I'm competing at 198, she's competing at 148 for the showdown meet. And then four weeks later when the surge, we're both going up a weight class just for fun, shits and giggles and to hang out with our friends. So there's not a lot of pressure or anything to worry about in the second meet. We're just doing it for fun. A lot of people, when she mentions that, will do a meet and then not have the day they wanted or miss a lift or come close to a lift. I'm like, oh, there's another meet in four weeks. I'm gonna try it again. It's like, you're not gonna get that much stronger in four weeks. We're not anticipating that we have bigger, better totals four weeks later. We're literally just doing it for fun, Mm -hmm. up a weight class with no pressure. Just because we love surging the levels of gym and the people there, and they're really cool. And a lot of our friends are competing there. A lot of our clients are competing there. So it's an opportunity to to, to compete and hang out with them. Um, So that's one of those things where you don't have a seasonal sport. You can decide what is ideal for you to compete. Some people prefer to compete in the winter because they're less busy. Some people can prefer to compete in the summer because they have more schedule availability. It's really... Hey, what does it come down to? It depends. (laughs) It depends on what is the best time and the best scenario for you when you feel most ready or you feel like you want to or the best opportunity becomes available to you. We've been to areas with some of these seminars where they only have one or two meets a year because mm-hmm. the gym that we were at are the only ones who host them. There's not another meet for 150 or 200 miles. They're very far away. And we've been to some areas like, if you go to Texas, there's 28 to 30 USPA meets alone in a year in, in Texas. That's a lot of opportunity. And that's just USPA. And then there's UPA. And then there's a IP. Um, IPF USAPL meets and then there's also like APF meets and like there's a ton of meets in Texas there's a ton of meets in Florida there's a ton of meets in California and New York so some areas you can have the opportunity literally in Florida if you wanted to you can compete every other weekend there's a meet literally every other weekend between one of the seven federations that are here and you can compete into so it's just a matter of when it's best available to you and when you want to there is really no off season because we're not a seasonal sport there's just time in between meets when you're focusing more on building than testing
1: I also don't like the term off-season because I tend to feel like people relax around that. Like they let their training kind of go to the wayside a little bit or maybe they don't push themselves as much or start to skip accessories. Like when people feel like, oh, it's an off-season. It's not a big deal. I'm not a meat prep. So they kind of don't push themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I feel like that's how it generally goes. Um, you should always, when be someone's yourself.
0: in off season, mm-hmm. they go through the emotions rather than yeah. applying effort. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then, you know, we like to, we should be training hard. So peak is easy. But in that aspect, you are training easy. so Peak is hard. Right. And <laughs> I've
0: talked about it a lot and she's mentioned it. Train hard, peak easy. That's when you want to dissipate fatigue. It shouldn't be the other way around when you're training easy and then peaking hard. That's when you're going to meet fatigue instead of recovered and refreshed. Yep. There's a question here. This is our this is our grandma, right? Yes. I am SM. I don't know her first name. I'm sorry, but she's like a grandma having trouble to brace properly. Any thoughts on the breath belt or something external to help? I'm a I'm a fan of external cueing and reactive neuromuscular training. I don't know that the I've not tried on a breath belt so I couldn't give you an honest review of it. It's an expansion tool that you learn how to expand your increase the circumference area, which 360 degrees of expansion through your diaphragm and and you're always breathing through your diaphragm, but through your obliques and trying to spread them out against that. Um, legitimately, you can take a short band, like a Lean FTS short mini band and put that around your waist to get the same effect. It's not gonna cover the same surface area, but that's as far as the RT effect is going to happen with a breath belt. You're just expanding against that compression. That's also legitimately going to happen with an actual powerlifting belt. Mm-hmm. You're going to expand against that compression. So if you struggle with bracing, Any belt is gonna have you force expansion against the belt. Using the breath belt, I cannot say with authority, would improve your ability to breathe and brace any better than an actual belt would. I do have a couple clients who have it and they seem to enjoy it, they like it for their beltless work, or somewhat beltless work, because there is a more surface area and some compression there. Um, Would I personally recommend it? I I can't, because I've never tried it, I've never put it on to give it a, a, a glowing recommendation. Um, there's a lot of controversy around it, so give it more time, give it more reviews, let people work on it, let people work with it, let me see what you know. the higher level lifters think who aren't sponsored by it. If you start seeing lifters who buy it and promote it who aren't sponsored by it, it's probably beneficial. Uh, most of the people who have coupon codes for it who are the ones wearing it and sponsoring it, it's probably not ideal because they're making money from it. That's just the truth. Um, not taking a side here, I think it has potential uh, any RNT tool, any reactive yeah, neuromuscular tool tru- is going to help. There's a lot of physical therapists who use a, just a basic band around the pole and they put it around your low back and have you try and breathe into that band to learn how to have better di- diaphragm mechanics. So it's the same thing. It's just the difference with the breath belt is you're wearing it for your exercise instead of just standing still and working on it. There's potential there, but I'm not ready to recommend it yet.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't have any clients that use them currently, so I, or at least I don't think so, so I can't make any recommendations either. I'm more of a fan of... Um, I think you have videos up of most of them. Like I'm more of a fan of something like a counterbalance squat to where it's interior loaded. loaded yep. um, and you're learning to breathe into that pressure. I'm more of a fan of something like you, uh, your ab wheel video that you just posted the other day with like a ball between yep, your knees and doing the, legs. the ab wheel. Um, I would rather a lifter do those kind of things. Cause you're kind of learning to move through a full range of motion with some semblance of a load there um, rather than just, I guess trying to breathe into it. Like if you need help with it, I'd rather do something like that um, than anything else. Or like I love breathing planks, like breathing side planks, to where instead of just counting for time, most you people can feel hold that their pressure. Yep. Yeah, most people just hold their breath for like the 20 or 30 seconds that they're in a side plank. But instead of doing that, actually focusing on taking five, six deep breaths in and out expanding your midsection, not just not just your belly, but all the way around, expanding all the way around. five deep breaths each side is going to benefit you um, really well, I feel. So working on that is more beneficial. Embracing is probably the hardest thing I think for most people to grasp. Um, it's very complicated and it does tend to crumble a little bit when you're under load. So the more that you can practice under real load, the better you'll get. Yeah,
0: and those of you who can see this and you're on the live, instead of thinking of breathing into your belly, there is the floating ribs in your lower back and mm-hmm. my back. Try and breathe so you can feel the pressure against the floating ribs. That means you're expanding all the way to the posterior side against those floating ribs and the diaphragm's going to push down and spread apart into the internal external obliques and you're gonna spread apart to create more mass, mass and width. So that should be the goal, not necessarily to belly breathe because when you teach people belly breathing, they go into extension. But if you teach people to breathe into their lumbar spine into those floating ribs in the back, they go into width, they, they expand different. They don't go into extensions. It gives them more, more
1: space. Also try nasal breathing first yep. before mouth breathing. Uh, most people naturally will fill up their diaphragm when they breathe through their nose. But for some reason we all want to take a deep breath in through our mouth when we brace. So try breathing in through your nose first and then taking another short, quick breath through your mouth.
0: All right, we've got a question, ironically. In your experience, best ways to deal with and rehab adductor and or hip flexor tweaks. Well, I've torn my left (laughs) adductor.
1: Perfect question for you. And
0: coming back from that one, I tore my right hip flexor in the surge mean on my second squat. Still deadlifted though, because that's just me. But it's one of those things where you have to work on load tolerance. First, the injuries usually happen from fatigue mismanagement. You either get overworked, mistired, under-recovered. I'm a lifelong insomniac. Recovery is one of the hardest things for me to deal with because I do not sleep very well. I I have a whole sleep schedule, I have a whole sleep hygiene. I take something that apparently someone texted me that said would knock out an ox because it was in my story, and I still struggle with sleep. I have since I was 10. Uh, It's more from a traumatic incident than anything else, but my sleep is not very good and I get sleep paranoia. But recovery is the first part. You want to minimize injury by enhancing recovery. So if you're overworking, you're doing too much, you're much more likely to break down. It's not so much the form. The form doesn't help. But if you are fatigued and you have poor form, then you are likely to see those injuries occur. The other thing is when you're coming back from an injury, it's all about creating tissue capacity and tolerance. You're trying to rebuild the availability. The reason why most people keep tweaking something is because they rush back Mm -hmm. too quickly. That is a great time for eccentric tempo work. The eccentric helps with the tissue remodeling. It is a great time for a long pause duration so the tissue can hold in its most precarious position. And it's just basically a great time for higher repetition work to build that tissue capacity, increase blood flow, which brings healing nutrients, and time under tension. It is not a time to test loads. Mm -hmm. Everyone says, well, this didn't hurt this week, so I'm going to add 20 pounds next week. That's not how this works. You should be looking to add reps. You should be looking to add time. You should be looking to add tolerance. And then once there's zero pain, add load.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We all rush back into loading and we just need to focus on tension and time and tissue capacity first.
1: This is something that I see you do really, really well that I wish some of the lifters that I work with would do. <laughs> um, it, it Like you mentioned, rushing back. So like, let's say, you know, they have whatever tweak it is and, um, you do this off like often where you'll say, okay, for example, like a squat, say 135 is on the bar for your first week where you're trying to assess the tolerance. And the first week you get to eight reps, right? And you're like, okay, that's where I'm gonna stop. That's where I'm at like a one or a two out of 10 on the threshold, I'm gonna mm-hmm. leave it there. The next week, instead of just being like, uh, instead of warming up with 135 and being like, yeah, it feels really good, I'm gonna go to 225 you will do 10 reps of 135, or at least one more rep or something. Or maybe you'll just add five pounds because that's a win, Yeah. you know? Like that's what- The bench
0: rebuild was literally five pounds a week for seven months.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And where I see lifters kind of go wrong is like week one, they'll, you know, of rehabbing or reworking or whatever it is, they will load up the weight and they'll be like, okay, that feels like like a one or a two, I'm gonna stop there. And then week two, they're like, well, this feels really great. So I'm just gonna load it up And I'm going to, you know, everything felt great. So I'm going to push it because everything feels good. Mm -hmm. And then that's when they tweak it again. So Trevor does this really well. And I, I see, I train with him all the time. So this is the best example that I have is it'll be like a five pound increase every single week or one rep increase or two rep increase every single week until there is no pain instead of like you mentioned, rushing it because this goes from something that could maybe be healed in four to six weeks to now you've set yourself back 12 weeks because you can't put your ego aside and just small steady wins like if you have a win for the day that doesn't mean start try to stack on three more just take the one win
0: volume is also going to help you grow yeah. and get stronger over time uh if i wasn't in meat prep right now my one of the goals i wanted to hit was like five by ten with 225 for the bench rather than pushing the weight up a little mm-hmm. bit as we're getting closer to the meat i would much rather see that volume grow because that's really rebuilding the tissue yeah. and the capacity and the whole mind. that's going to mean more future potential gains later yeah uh so that's what you have to look at as it's, it's a long process but really the goal should be to improve improve the amount of volume you do or the amount of time under tension you do to make that muscle bigger or stronger, mm-hmm. not necessarily testing its capacity. That's where a lot of people are wrong is they start instantly testing the capacity. Like someone tweaks their pec and they're like, well, I've had three pec tweaks in the last like six months. It's because you keep testing it. You're not doing enough to build it. And if that keeps tweaking, that means it's handling a lot of the load. That means the supporting structure probably needs more attention. The serratus needs more attention. The lats need more attention. And if you keep tweaking your pec, chances are your mid-back is weak as shit. And you're not holding the retraction. And the pec is shouldering the load on the eccentric. So chances are you need some, some more work somewhere else. Stop testing that tissue capacity. Put that on maintenance or volume and build around it. Yes. The most you can. So if you have an adductor issue, chances are you probably could focus a little bit more on hamstring and glute work. So the adductor isn't the only thing that's extending you out of the hole for the squat.
1: Usually the issue isn't always directly where you feel it or it's not the reason. It's not the catalyst. That's the muscle
0: that gave out first because it's shouldering the majority of the work and it probably shouldn't be. Yep. I agree. Ah, Jared Redder, How's meat prep going? Well, if I pretend it's not going, it's going great. (laughs) It's been a year, man. I appreciate the support. He's a really cool dude. He totaled 2000 in his last meet. We met him in uh, Depth Before Designer Gym. Yep. Uh, it's it's just been a, a hellaciously crazy year. A lot of external stuff outside of the gym. Um, I always look forward to training regardless of what's going on outside of the gym, but uh, a lot of things to put in order outside of the gym. And, and once those are in order, maybe the stress will just fail a little bit and I'll sleep a little bit better, but we'll see. But it's getting there. I appreciate you asking. Diapham breathing feels easier to do on squats versus deadlifts, of course, because the bar is loaded onto you. It's actually on your structure, on your frame. That usually means somebody has rushed into pulling without gathering the tension or what we call slacking out of the bar. Whether it's a stiff bar or deadlift bar, if there's space, then that means you haven't braced or created tension. So when you're reaching for the bar, you want to make sure that there's no space and it's tight to you and you have expanded as much as you can because tension equals torque. So if you are breathing and bracing better on squats, it's because the bar is sitting on you and you have to breathe to support the load. If you're not braced as well on deadlifts, it means you haven't gotten all the tension out
1: usually. Uh, this can sometimes be easier to do if you take your brace at the top, Mm -hmm. which generally means that you're going to have to be quicker once you're bent over to set up. So um, starting starting with your brace at the top and then reaching down to the barbell, if you're having trouble, stop spending so much time bent over before you start the rep, which doesn't mean rush it. It just means you don't need seven to 10 seconds to figure out what it is that you're supposed to be doing. If you need to take the brace at the top, make sure that your hands are set and then you pull your slack out and then go. So sometimes changing that to where your brace at the top uh, of the desk can help.
0: Matt Matt says embrace the float. Brandy joined. Uh, looking forward to seeing what she does at the uh, showdown. She's had a good training prep, so I was excited to see that. I always like to see when strong lifters join, in and sometimes they they offer their opinion. They they put it down there, which is great and uh, more advice. She uh, just benched three oh three.
1: Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it was 303 or 308. It was really. really I
0: think good. like previous comp max like two eighty five. That's pretty significant. Yeah. Like good job, Brownie. That's that's pretty impressive. Uh, and always the deadlift records on the line whenever she's in a meet. So you know, one day she's going to hit that six hundred plus. And I think he's actually head she's, to head with Christy? Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Very, very exciting. All right. Brandon told me about the Lock 5. Can you tell me about it? Uh, Okay. So, a great topic of conversation here. And also, we started back with the the topic of the the podcast this week being It Depends. If you look online, there's going to be people who will belittle Andrew Lock's advice. There's going to be people who belittle um, Squat University's advice. There's going to be people who belittle Stu McGill's advice. There's going to be people who belittle power, uh, um, postural restoration, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, any system that somebody has, someone's going to belittle or find fault with it. And that's why it always, it depends on what you should be using, what you need. The lock five is kind of similar to McGill's big three. Uh, Sue McGill's big theory is that if you create trunk stability, you enable distal ability. So your appendages can move better if you have a thick brace, torso, and trunk. Uh, Some people think his research is skewed. Andrew Locke kind of uses the same thing, except Andrew believes more in activation. Uh, McGill doesn't talk anything about activation. He just talks about strengthening core strength, trunk strength, so you're rigid through the lumbar spine, so you reduce the risk of injury to discs. Andrew is more of activation-based drills at certain things. If you learn how he calls it uh, pre-activation potentiation, I think which is kind of a play on post activation yeah. potentiation. Yeah, so he used really it similar. pre, mm-hmm. like being prone on the floor and using a hip circle to spread your legs apart to work on abduction mm-hmm. um, and so forth. The lock big three is just basically taking a, a like side plank, a regular plank. Uh, it uses a flex knee hip extension. So you're focusing on the glute, not so much the hamstrings to extend the hip and so forth. And he calls it a renegade row, but it really isn't a renegade row. It's just a push-up position shoulder tap where the multifitis, which is one of your deep spinal stabilizers, is activated. So he likes to use that as a warm-up to turn on activation. You could argue whether some people need a warm-up or don't need a warm-up. If you get to the gym and you can get right into the bar, kudos to you, and move. For a lot of people, the warm-up and activation drills are more of a mental thing. Yes, It's shifting your focus to now, this is training time. I'm shutting down my work, I'm shutting down my family, I'm shutting down my phone, whatever, and I'm focused and directed on training. So that five to 10 minutes that I usually program as a warm up has more to do with switching on mentally than it does switching on physically. Um, there isn't a lot of research showing that physical warm ups enhance training. There's a couple studies that show like a plank and a side plank can enhance force production on squats and deadlifts, um, but there's not a lot of research that shows any help to doing things like Dynamic mobility foam rolling static stretching so forth There are some studies that show long duration static stretching limit power output and actually you perform worse and you're weaker Mm -hmm. So when I say long duration, I'm talking 30 to 60 seconds I'm not talking 5 to 10 second stretches. That's not gonna fatigue a muscle If 5 to 10 seconds of a stretch fatigues you You're just freaking out of shape. Yeah, you got (laughs) much bigger problems. You're just out of freaking shape Um, so not everyone needs a warm-up the younger you are, the less you probably have to warm up. The older you are, and the more stressed you are, the more you probably can benefit from some type of warm up. Like I said, it becomes a more of a neural activation as far as your brain. It is training time, and you become more focused and you prepare mentally for training. As opposed to uh, somebody younger who maybe doesn't have a mortgage, a kid, a wife, um, a boss, and whatever, and they can just go in and that's their break from college. They probably don't need the warm up as much. They can get right into the bar and just start squatting the bar for a set of ten. And that's their that's their warm up. But caveat to that if you are core weak and that is a limiting factor in your squats and deadlifts that's one of the reasons why i also like to put that up front because then people actually do it mm-hmm. if you put planks side planks wheel rollouts, hanging leg raises whatever at the end of someone's workout chances are a lot of people skip that because they're tired and they just leave it and they're like well why isn't my squat moving it's like because your core strength isn't improving yep. whose fault is that you why, does back, <laughs> why does my back why does my back right work?
1: because your core is weak yes uh, we just talked about this, I think, on a walk, like Uh, whenever we get into lift I always roll my back out on a foam roller and it cracks my back and does that do anything for me? No but it feels great and then I'm ready to go. (laughs) If you Uh, feel
0: good you lift good. Yeah. Shout out to Tony Rogers that's his big saying when you feel good you lift good.
1: Yeah I also really love the lock clam. I feel like a lot of people do the lock clam better than they do just like a side clam because it's more actual glute activation. A little more isolated
0: to the actual glute and hip abduction. Yeah. Uh, Hip abduction is very important if you're a sumo puller or a wide stance squatter. Not everyone's a wide stance squatter, so they don't necessarily need the hip abduction, but if you were sumo puller, hip abduction is vital to your sumo. Yes. As well as shoulder external rotation. If you can't external rotate your shoulders, your sumo is going to be struggle. Yes. Okay. What so do we got?
1: We answered that. Um, this was a good one, not necessarily just powerlifting related, but unforeseen pros and cons you found working for yourself.
0: Ooh. Okay. This is one that took a long time to develop. Pros and cons is, we've talked about this before, it is very easy to become overwhelmed because Riley actually put this in her story relatively recently. You no longer have a nine to five, you have a 24 Mm seven. And if you don't structure your time and batch and organize and work on time management, you're going to be overwhelmed or behind very, very, very quickly. So one of the pros is that you have the availability to decide when you work. Mm One of the cons is you're attached to your work every day because you are responsible for the company. You own the company. You own the business. So you are doing something for the business every single day. You don't get weekends and holidays off. You're working. And people will literally, like, I've had people like, Happy Father's Day. And I'm like, thanks. And then they send me 10 videos. Like, uh, every holiday. <laughs> every holiday. <laughs> I'm like, Do you really want me to have Happy Father's Day? Just kidding. I still love it. But it's one of those things where it's like, you're always attached. You have to know when your times are. So I have myself structured where I send athletes uh, client guidelines to let them know I'm only available from like 2 to 10 p.m. on social media. I don't go on social media at all in the morning. It's not on my computer. Those are my work hours where I want to look at either you know, reinvesting stuff in the, the market, uh, answer emails, and work on programming. In the afternoons, I'm available through Instagram from like 2 to 10. That doesn't mean I'm, not, I'm available all the time. All the notifications on my phone are shut off. Like, so I don't want to know. My phone stays on silent. It says I'm doing a disturb. I don't want to know. I will go back and forth on there and answer people through there because I do have a son. I do have a family. I do have a girlfriend. I do have people I want to talk to. So I can't be on call. But one of the cons is people will sometimes get upset that you're not available when they're working out. And that's just a lack of responsibility on their part. So if you send someone their program on Monday and on Friday they're in the middle of the gym saying, "Hey, what is this?" That's their responsibility. That's them being an irresponsible adult by not looking at it on Monday and saying, "Let me find out what this is before I'm at the gym on Friday." But people will turn around and be like, "Well, that's your fault. I was in the middle of the gym and I was struggling, and you weren't available to help me." It's like, no, that's not how this works. There's that's what a no, personal trainer is. There's
1: not a powerlifting emergency. Yeah, there's that no I such thing as a it. powerlifting
0: emergency. <laughs> you know, if you get hurt, you go to the hospital. That's how, your coach isn't going to be able to help you from three thousand miles away. Um, It's one of those things where that's probably the con Mm -hmm. is people will disrespect your time and in turn disrespect you and that can be very, very painful sometimes. Um, One of the pros that I love is I fucking love what I do. Mm -hmm. I have been called a workaholic many times and I'm okay with that because I truly enjoy what I do and I love working on it and I will work on it all the time because I love it. I will constantly read about it i will constantly learn about it i will constantly talk about it and i'll constantly be about it because i love what i do i love that i get to do this it's fantastic um the only real con is it can be difficult to shut it off the only time i've ever been able to shut it off is when i've gone on a cruise i put my phone in the safe the day i get on the cruise and it doesn't come out of the safe until i come out of the cruise and i never buy the internet uh, with COVID, I haven't had a cruise in two years. <laughs> so I haven't had a single moment of time to relax or a day off in two years, that's the con.
1: Yeah, so I thought of, I answered this on my story and I thought about this a little bit more too. Um, one of the cons is, is that it, it's a pro also because obviously like you work for yourself so you answer only to you, so that's cool, you know? Like you don't have to answer to like a, a mean boss or one that you don't agree with or whatever. But that is also a con because let's say that I wake up on a Monday and I'm just really not feeling it. And I'm just really like really tired and I don't have any uh, motivation to do anything. I still have to work anyways. And I have to find that motivation, that drive within myself to get my work done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really, really important to be disciplined and regimented in your schedule because if you don't like... I, I went through a phase of probably for two months where I was behind probably two days every single week and normally, normally what I do is I start programming on Wednesdays and I program Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for all my clients. Monday, Tuesday is generally my, um, that's like the day I work on like culture stuff where it's the more creative day to where I'm designing or whatever it is. Like we have, we have shmeetings, um, we can review, <laughs> we have all of these things. It's an uh, inside joke. We have all these things that, you know, to do. So there would be weeks where I probably didn't start programming until Friday. Um, And that is entirely my fault. So between Friday and Saturday, I was doing 70 programs. That's a lot of programs. That's a lot to be staring at my computer screen. I try to cap myself at 20 a day. Um, And that is entirely my fault. And it was because I was not finding the drive to get it done and I was like, well, I have until Saturday to do it and I just really don't feel like doing it today. I just want to relax, whatever. That's my fault. That's a con um, to where if you are not wanting to work, you do have to find that drive in yourself and if you don't have it, you're always going to be behind.
0: A great point there. If you ever want to work for yourself, if you are not intrinsically motivated and you are externally motivated, you're going to struggle working for yourself. You must be intrinsically motivated to succeed because all the success is on you.
1: Yeah, I would be, I'm, I'm very intrinsically motivated. I am very, I'm not very extrinsically motivated at all. Like I don't care what other people are doing or whatever. I very much care about what I'm doing or what, you know, like we are doing or whatever. Um, But I would be lying if I said that there, I was motivated and driven to do it every single day. And I feel the same way as Trevor to where I love what I do and that I get to do this. And I think this is awesome. The fact that I'm the age that I'm at and I'm hundred percent working for myself is incredible.
0: 87?
1: Yeah, I'm 87. You
0: look great for 87. Thank
1: you. Um, So it is, you know, like I love what I do. I would not change a thing about what I do, but I would be lying if I said that every single day I woke up and was like, writing programs sounds incredible today. (laughs) You know, like there's just days where you're not going to have that. So it is a con. And if you cannot find that intrinsic motivation or that drive uh, to do, to work for yourself every single day, you're going to struggle. Um, the pros, very similar to yours is like, I love that I get to do this every single day. Um, I love powerlifting. I love helping people feel stronger. I love running a supplement company and getting to be creative with whatever we want to do. And the fact that I don't have to filter my ideas through other people. I mean, obviously we work on ideas together, but it's not like me giving an idea and then it being turned down and then we feel stupid for giving that idea. So it is way cooler to work for yourself, but it's not all sprinkles and rainbows like you would think it might be.
0: Yeah, you have to be intrinsically motivated and more importantly, you have to be self-disciplined. Yes, You have to be self-disciplined because like Riley said, there are some days you wake up and you don't want to do that. You don't want to go write the programming or answer people or go on Instagram and answer and look at videos. So you have to just have the discipline to do it regardless of how you feel. Just like your food, just like your training, just like your recovery, just like anything else. You have to be disciplined in that process, especially if you work for yourself. Because if you are undisciplined, no one's going to come do it for you. You are in charge. You work for you.
1: I thought this was an interesting question, so we'll end with this one depending on the fed I'm competing, does that affect coaching or programming?
0: No. No, No, it shouldn't. Um, the division, yes, you know, as far as wraps or sleeves, absolutely yeah. could affect the programming. But the federation you compete in, I, last time I checked, every federation had the exact same yeah. rules as far as what squat depth is, what a pause on the bench press is. Uh, the only thing that's slightly different is like APF has a rolling start. You don't have a start command in APF for bench press. Every other federation has a start command for bench press. Yep. So usually you'll see a lot of bench breakers broken in the APF. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but no, the, the, it shouldn't change. You know, sometimes you're like, well, I'm doing an APF meet so I can squat this high. It's like, Nah. Because once you accept that, you're always going to squat that high. You're always going to not pause your bench press. You're always going to hit your deadlift or use straps or whatever. So it should never change. You should always try and train and uphold a certain personal standard. And as a coach, you want them to have a the standard. There's good judging and bad judging, and it doesn't matter what federation. I don't care what anyone says. I've seen great judging in poor federations, and I've seen horrible judging in supposed prestigious federations at the most prestigious meets. Um, it is subjective to human error. Judging is subjective to human error. And sometimes they blow the call and sometimes they don't. We're, we're, we're hoping that more people who are educated on what the standards are are in the judge's chair, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's their home gym and it's their buddies and they're like, well, they tried hard so I gave it to them. And that's You shouldn't be in a judge's chair. Yep. That's on the judges. That's not on the coach. It's not on the athlete. It's on the judges. If you don't uphold the standard, nobody else will either. So I never change programming, I never change coaching, and I never change looking for that standard regardless of whatever federation they're doing. That's not my job to teach people to lift or be substandard. My job is to make them and help them facilitate their goal, which is to get stronger and up their total.
1: Yeah, I've had that in um, client intake forms where they're like, my next meet is USAPL meet, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't affect anything. I that. I don't care if it's USAPL, USPA, RPS, WRPF. I don't care what federation yeah. it is. I'm going to make you pause your bench. I'm going to make you squat to depth. And I'm going to tell you if you have ramped or hissed your deadlift. Like that doesn't, it doesn't matter. There should be no effect on it. Um, and if your coaching style is changing because of what federation, like if they're a little bit more relaxed with you because it's an APF meet, that's not setting you up for very good success.
0: While we're on that topic from a coaching perspective, when I look at an athlete, if an athlete takes a PR that is not the standard, I don't count it as a PR. What I mean by that is, if they take a squat and it's egregiously high and you can see it's high, that's not your PR. Yeah. If you took a max single with straps in your deadlifts, that's not your deadlift PR.
1: If your butt comes off the bench, it's if not your butt comes bench. off
0: the bench, it's not your deadlift PR because it wouldn't uphold them the standard. I'm going to tell the athlete like, "Listen, great, that should give you some confidence. You move that load, but we're not going to use that as your PR for your attempts and your meets because it wasn't to meet standard." And I will be frank with that. And your athletes don't like that. But if you've pulled a max single with straps, that's not your PR, you know, and if your squat is high in, in training, it's not your PR for me. Maybe it's something you can aim for to hit again in meet or come down close to it. Because I've had that where people will, they're like, oh, I, I hit a PR on bench. It's like, But they didn't even come close to pausing. I'm like, you're not taking that in the meet unless you can pause it in, in training. Nope. Yeah, because otherwise, you're just setting yourself up for a bad day. If you go to the meet thinking that you can press, you know, 300 pounds without a pause and you're going to press three in a meet with a pause all of a sudden, it's not going to happen. You'd be lucky if you got 292. That pause is a huge difference maker, difference maker for Especially a lot of people. Especially if you don't train it. Yes. Yeah. Especially if you don't train it, you don't get used to holding it. Um, it's something I nitpick on as a coach often too, is when someone just jumps right into their bench without actually waiting because, uh, and I talk about it almost every seminar, a bench attempt in a meet is going to be like six to seven seconds. A bench attempt in a gym is going to be like one or two seconds because people will get the bar, they'll drop right down, pause and come back up. That doesn't happen in a meet. In a meet, you got to wait for your liftoff person to get out of the way. You got to wait for the start command. You got to wait for the press command. Then you're holding it until the rack command. Yep. So it's a good habit to hesitate and wait. So you're not thrown off by that by the meat. So someone who's constantly rushing their bench attempt in the gym and all of a sudden like, Oh, they're making me hold it forever. No, that's just the standard of the meat, you didn't train to it. They're
1: making you hold it as long they're making as you, you hold it to. as long as you're supposed
0: to. <laughs> exactly right. Um
1: uh- I think that's about it.
0: All right. So, yeah, we're kind of, we cut him five minutes short now because we have to go get Titus from school. The school line comes down if we're not there. He's all like, you don't love me. So, <laughs> so thank you. Thanks to you who joined us on the live recording. Remember, the download is available every Monday. Please leave a five star review when the downloads are available. And please share this in your story to help get it out there because we put a lot of information out there. We just simply want to help the community. Make sure you follow Culture Nutra. Make sure you're following Riley personnel. Make sure you're following me. You probably are because you're watching on my, like, on my Instagram, but you know, just have to say it. So, there it is.
1: Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.